श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय गुरु भक्तवृंद की जय Tonight we are asking for any questions about that discussion or anything else, any other topic. We'll try to reply. Hopefully to everyone's satisfaction. Yes. Maharaj, I had a question about uh, whether or not the body should be vegan if they are... Uh, if we don't have our own cows, kind of our own cows milk. And it, the reason I ask this is because for the last, I guess, year or two, we've been, where we are, we've been very focused on that, even though we didn't have a milking cow at the time. And the more we got into it, the more we kind of felt like this was a, an important subject that the boys just just taking and it overlooked. And there seems to be a lot of stuff on the internet between the boys about this. So I thought maybe... Thank you for the burphy that you brought. That was very good. From the cow. Um, Well, I think uh, it's an interesting subject. And um, I think that that I would answer it in a broader way, perhaps, by... Emphasizing first of all that the 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 practice, the life of practice, sadhana bhakti, in, is a kind of a way of life, if you will. I mean, I've emphasized this to some extent in in uh, some of our discussions by way of saying that uh, things like our our sadhana has to be kind of what we're about, and everything else is. The music in, in the background, rather than the sadhana being the music and our primary preoccupation with um, other things. Obviously, that might not happen uh, at first, but this is what it means in the full sense of the term to be a sadhaka, which means to be. It's an interesting concept because it it it, uh, it implies being in the world, not being. A mukta, a liberated person, a premika, a siddha, but not being a um, what we call a, a badajiv or a or a um, a um, materially conditioned entity, conditioned to act in response to the call of nature. <clears throat> It's a kind of an interesting space. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave a lot of emphasis to this idea of the sadhaka deha, for example. Someone had asked me something about if Krishna is going to protect us, does that mean he's going to protect our body? Or should I have thinking he's going to protect my soul? And it's because thinking of Krishna as one's protector, rakshikshatati vishvashvold, this was, as we discussed, one aspect of sharanagati. And I pointed out at that time that there's needs to be emerging here between your soul and your body, so to speak, your atma and yourself, or your atma and your body. I mean, atma also means body, 
and mind and intellect and and uh, and and atma in the classical sense, perhaps best translated uh, into English as the soul. So, um, um, in other words, the merging of the two means that the, the the body at the time of initiation and and the time of initiation is a kind of a time capsule, if you will, a time capsule or a time bomb, something like that. It, and it starts at a certain point, and it's not finished all in a day. Hmm. But um, it's an aspect of what we call sambandagyan, and that is a, Rudrani, what is it, conceptual orientation, I guess. <laughs> She's working with me uh, translating some books into into Spanish, doing a very good job also. Uh, a conceptual orientation that fosters then bhakti. How we, we have whatever our mental conceptual orientation is going to foster a certain type of activity. So that conceptual orientation, metaphysical outlook that fosters bhakti, <clears throat> um, the initiation, the diksha, the giving of imparting of the mantra, the divyagan, transcendental knowledge, and so forth, falls within that that category, and uh, and so then that is uh, when that is complete, so to speak, when the sambandagyan is is uh, fully in place, then one's bhakti is fully informed, well informed, and. Um, it takes the shape of what we call bhakti and ecstasy, bhava bhakti, which is the fruit, if you will, or the goal of bhakti and practice, which then in turn, bhakti and ecstasy turns into love of God, prem bhakti. It's bhakti, bhakti, and bhakti, kind of like the the, the, the raw fruit, the, the, the um, how do you say, the unripened fruit and the ripened fruit. So... Mm, um, when we do bhakti in practice, then we engage in bhakti with our senses, or our senses become engaged in bhakti by hearing and chanting, and so on and so forth. So this body then, uh, consisting of senses and its internal organ of mind and that, that composite uh, intellect and so on and so forth, this is all uh, supposed to be taking on a spiritual uh, Character. This is the idea of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We told Sanatana at the time of initiation, you get a, your body becomes, uh, 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 how do you say, uh, um, Purananda, Pura, uh, uh, it becomes of a uh, spiritual nature. So that, you know, it doesn't happen the first day. So there's a development. This Sambanda is, is really fully in place uh, as when sadhana bhakti is, is complete. So all, in the sense this is about, much of what this is about is that kind of merging, if you will, of the so-called material body with the self um, and thereby spiritualizing the body. So there's not that much difference between the body and the self because the body doesn't work against the interest of the self. It's working in the interest of the self, the atma and the, and the paramatma. Um, and, and so there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an idea, important idea in Gaudiya theology of uh, a spiritualized uh, 
practitioner's body. That's why, for example, we take the body of the Mahatma and we in, put it in, a, we call it a samadhi, you know, it's a, it's a sacred, after the passing, uh, as it might be thought, from this world, to the Nityalila, the body that is, that is a practitioner's body that was perfected, is also a, um, has a, a eternal character. Like, for example, we take um, Prabhupada's, uh, my Guru Maharaj's picture, in, and it's on the altar. So it's, there's a space and eternity there hmm? for that body. We, we kind of look at it as a Gaur-lila uh, deha. Hmm? Uh, Gaur-lila, all of the siddhas have bodies like sadhakas. So it's sadhaka siddha bhumi. It's a land where siddhas perform the lila of sadhakas. This is Gaur-lila, Nitya, Nadia, and so forth. So, um, so in order to arrive at, at, uh, at what sadhana is really about, it's, it's very much a lifestyle. It's not something you, you, know, you plug in here for you know, a couple hours and then you unplug and, and you wonder why it's hard to plug back in because you are preoccupied with so many things that um, should turn you know, from the music to the Muzak, if you will, and gradually fade away, so that that our uh, material necessities, uh, that our sadhana becomes like, as we are habituated um, materially, as we are habituated to eat and to uh, and to rest and so forth, our, our sadhana becomes the habit. Hmm? So, um, so anyway, the point is. Uh, that relative to your question that this sadhana is really a lifestyle um, and uh, my Guru Maharaj in one way or another tried to emphasize that by by encouraging uh, trying to create facilities where devotees would be able to have an environment that was suitable this is an extension of the principle that we find for example in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu Rupa Goswami's book that we should live in this bhakti should be practiced in Vrindavan, or he says, or you know, an extension is in a place. What is Vrindavan? In a place uh, that is uh, conducive for Krishna's uh, pastimes. It's, uh, in a sense, the Goswamis made Vrindavan what it is today. The Prabhupada did it also in the modern day and gave it a kind of a new, new life by excavating places of Krishna's pastimes by by transferring their bhava onto things in Vrindavan. Hmm? You know, if Rupa Goswami sees an impression in the ground and his bhava makes him feel, that must be Krishna's footprint melted here. Then it becomes Krishna's footprint melted there and it's taken and then, you know, made into it, you know, made it made a shrine and so forth. So again, we have to remember, as I mentioned the other day, the bhava Brain, the love of the devotee is, is one with Krishna. So there's a way that they see and they actually, you know, kind of turn things into, if you will, um, um, something that corresponds with their, their bhava. Uh, so they were asked to do something like this, to excavate the places of Krishna's pastimes. So they saw here and then so that place is celebrated and so forth. So the, 
the the essential uh, element then of the holy place is is the, you know, the presence of saintly persons. Therefore, it's said to go there and not take advantage of them is to not have gone there at all. When Vidura was going to go on pilgrimage yeah, to holy places, then Yudhisthira said to him, Bhavadvidha Bhagavatas Tirta Bhuta Svayambhu Tirta Kurvanti Tirtani Svantastena Gadabrita What is the use, he said, if you're going to holy places, you are a holy place. The Lord is residing in your heart wherever you go. That is a Tirtha. Tirtha means a crossing, a ford, a platform. A, a place in this world for crossing over to the other side. Hmm? So that medium, that which creates the, the, the crossing, that is the sadhu, that is the place of pilgrimage, really. So, at any rate, uh, and th- those people will want to live in an environment. You know, you, there's the idea, well, whatever Krishna sends, I'll do. But we find that's also there. <laughs> but the Goswamis, we found they created very favorable environments for their practice. I love to go, for example, in Vrindavan to the place of Maramohan Mandir, Sanatana Goswami's place, up on the, the hillside, and you can see the whole Jamuna Delta there, and, and you can think back 500 years. And he picked a pretty nice place for his for his bhajan, for his spiritual life. It was peaceful, it was clean, it was beautiful, it was um, uh, over and above anything else sacred by his own but by dint of his own presence there, his own practice. So there's much to be said then for creating a favorable uh, environment. Um, You know, in this country, we're free to practice our religion, but are we? (laughs) You know, you're being bombarded by so many, it's hard to avoid uh, being bombarded bombarded so much by things that are uh, ideas, concepts, persuasions, we were talking a little bit this morning about, about Freud and the genesis of, uh, you know, advertising, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> right? Something like that. And, uh, you know, so are we free? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, so anyway, to, to, within the context of the freedoms that we do have in the country, we are free as far as, to some extent, to create, you know, our own environment. And Prabhupada very much uh, encouraged that. When I was young, when and I was his disciple, practically speaking, all of us and some of us who are here, we are all living in, in temples or you know around them, and 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 our lives orbited around that. Of course, things uh, um, um, you know a lot of us grew up and, and probably wasn't here, and there are there are other factors, but uh, you could see what that he wanted. That he thought that that was important. So, so for for actually a successful life as a sadhaka to create this kind of environment is 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 important. Even to live you know in a healthy way today is important. You know, you, you want to eat food or do you want to eat money? You know, most of the things that are passed off as food are just money. In other words, they're just grown for money. That's all there are. They are. You know that they're. they're <laughs> It's not in consideration of, I was listening to, a, you know, Glenn Beck, um, a clip somebody sent me of him, and he was, he was speaking with a, um, a person in, in, um, oh, somebody else, I forget, somebody had something to do with, with food, and they were speaking about a person in the political administration who was in, uh, in charge of agriculture, I don't know, minister of agriculture or something like that. 
and um, that some of the changes she wanted to bring about. And this other fellow said to Glenn Beck, he said, uh, well, look, you know, um, the cost of our food is, I don't know, you know, 5% of the average person's income. Hmm? And in Cuba, it's, you know, 25%. So obviously this, this, this lady, you know, wants to increase our cost of food. She's a socialist, you know. <laughs> it wasn't a really great logic, but... But at any rate, their, their bottom line was, if it's cheap and you have money to do other things, you know, then it must be the best food. Of course, you know, we don't necessarily agree with that. Food costs, you know, uh, good food could, um, could save you a lot of other costs and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, Prabhupada, to, Draw back to him again. He advocated an agrarian-based lifestyle, and uh, and so on, and in, in more ways than one. And in these practical ways with regard to food and real food and milk and what it actually costs, and to be in touch, in other words, with the material environment and nature and how it really works and so forth, is a good idea if you want to uh, to 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 kind uh, of to be to understand. On a, uh, nature, um, you know, that milk doesn't come out of whatever machines or something like that is uh, is, is, is useful, helpful for uh, spiritual life. So, um, you know, you take, let's take India. India was very, uh, uh, very, um, had great hope uh, with uh, Gandhi's uh, reforms and so forth. When Gandhi was uh, finally was victorious and was assassinated, and Nehru took over, and, and everything had to be, you know, the British were gone, but nothing was good unless it was approved by the British in the psyche of a lot of the leaders. And so they moved away very much from the kind of lifestyle that Gandhi had advocated. Hmm? Imagine if India had pursued that in hmm? an agrarian based lifestyle, and, you know, no, you know, the whole Qadi revolution, we'll only take cloth that's made locally, you know, you know, by the weavers rather than, and his idea of machines should not be such that they put someone out of work, but they're able to increase the capacity of one person to work more rather than, you know, put 10 people out of work, that kind of thing. I mean, it would have been a really, imagine if you had one country like that now that was, you know, very environmentally sensitive and so forth. They would be a huge and powerful example to the rest of the world. So, and it would be, in, in, and I, I'm saying here that it's conducive. The industrial world is, is has you know, its advantages and it has its disadvantages and the disadvantages may be considerable as, as time goes on. That we have to, we have to see. But, um, but one of the you know, untalked about disadvantages is the, is the measure to which it may not be conducive full on and just pursuing that as the ideal to a spiritual life. You've got to slow down a little bit for, for a sadhana, you know. Um, so, so if, if the devotees were seriously to understand, understand this point and gravitate towards that type of lifestyle and take help, take help from one another to do so and so forth, then um, this wouldn't be as much of a question, hmm, right? 
because naturally they would be growing food and they would be having, you know, cows and uh, and um, like in California in our ashram we we have a we're involved in reinventing the family cow. So you know we have our dairy, our micro creamery, and then we we only keep three cows milking. And so when we have a a calf and a bull, then we find homes for them, and we we promote the idea that you should do the same thing. We also sell our milk. We sell shares of our cows, and so the people own a share of the cow, and then they get a portion of the milk every week, and and so forth. So you know we've been doing this for some time. We've started two other people families have started their cow shares, and other people don't want to do a cow share, but they want to have milk. So we engineered, if you will. Cross between our miniature zebus and our jerseys, which is a smaller cow, but it gives less milk, but enough for a family because four or six gallons a day is a lot of milk for one family. So, you know, they give a little bit less milk. And in this way, we, we find homes for them and we, you know, encourage this type of um, approach to the dairy. So everybody gets a cow from us on plugs from the dairy industry um, entirely. And, um, and that's good for for cows. And so not only in devotee communities with this kind of approach do you yourself unplug, but you know you're gonna have cows unless you got a lot of land. Um, and this was the idea in the past you'd give a cow for a wedding, you know, for you know, to celebrate the birth of your daughter, you know, you give somebody a cow or something like that. So the more you the, the section of uh, of devotees and other similar minded, you know, people, um, uh, Gravitate towards this, uh, this uh, you know, kind of hybrid with a balance, greater balance on agrarian hybrid of agrarian industrial society. You can't maybe unplug from it entirely, nor that it doesn't necessarily make sense to do so. But the, in essential ways, yes, then this kind of doesn't become a become a question. But a lot of devotees don't live like that. So what is the what is the position? Um, you know, I think it's a it's an important question. I think that uh, um, that um, that the, the vegan argument um, has its shortcomings as a diet, hmm? as a human diet. That's my personal conviction, you know, and I could probably get some nutritionists to support me and some who would not, you know. That's the nature of science of nutrition. <laughs> There's, you know, 108,000, eight different opinions out there, but, um, but uh, I believe that uh, that's, that the as such um, animal products are um, important to the human um, health, and um, I've also seen now in my experience many cases where people have problems with dairy products that don't have problems with raw milk, for example, and raw milk products. Even people with lactose intolerance for their whole lives. Hmm? find uh, that they can drink raw milk and it's, uh, you know, uh, doesn't have the same effect on them. So there's something to be, you know, there's much to be said for the problems with the dairy industry, which is, you know, part of the vegan, you know, vegan argument. Um, but from a nutritional point of view, I think it lacks. And I, th I think it also, in my uh, uh, opinion, it, it lacks um, some, it takes away from a, what would be that is a natural course for human society to interact with domestic animals. I think that civilization begins with the domestication of animals. And I'm not sure if the humans 
were the animals that were domesticated or the cows were domesticated by the humans. Um, and there's an argument about that, actually. But um, uh, the, the, these cows, uh, they can thrive very, uh, very nicely in, in conjunction with uh, human uh, caretaking. Hmm? It's funny because they're mothers, but they're kind of like children, too. Um, um, and, uh, you know, there's so... To, 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 I'm not sure of the whole vegan philosophy, but it, I think it, 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 um, it borders on something like that, divorcing humans from domesticating animals, perhaps. Maybe they think that in and of itself is, is, is cruel. So I, I don't agree with that. And I don't find that to be, you know, it, uh, um, uh, verified by my, my experience. Um, and so, I, I like, for example, for us in our, in our monasteries where our monks live, you know, you're going to get, you want to be careful. We talked about not making sure that your heart gets soft here in, in, in the context of, of bhakti. And so, you know, there's something to be said for monastics who are directly cultivating spiritual um, understanding and practicing in ways that, for example, householders may not have the time to do. Maybe they're, they're intellectually inclined, some of them, and they get more knowledge, or at least they're with their guru in the ashram, they're getting more association. And so you get more knowledge and understanding, and you have to be careful that your knowledge doesn't make you proud and hard-hearted and less human and so forth. So for us, we use the cows for that because these guys don't have kids, you know, which make you more human. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so they take care of cows and it keeps them soft-hearted, you know. I mean, they, if you ever, in, any mother's pregnant there on the farm, I mean, on the, the ashram, everybody knows about it and everybody's, you know, we got, the, we got their periods, you know, charted and everything, you know, when they're in heat, you know, what happened on that day and when one got pregnant and, you know, then it comes down 280, 88, 290, 93 days, you know. At that point, everybody's staying up, you know, taking shifts throughout the night, hmm, waiting for the birth to, to assist if anything should happen, just, you know, to be there for it, really. And so forth. We just had a calf born the other, the other day, as I mentioned. So it's a big, uh, big event. And um, it's a real nice uh, from the bhakti perspective, these things are mentioned. It's mentioned in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that, that the worship of the sacred trees and whatnot, and uh, Jiva Goswami has commented there, like the Tulsi, the Banin, and so forth, that uh, in his commentary he said this includes the taking care of cows, scratching their necks, and uh, you know, caring for them, and so forth. So it's very, and, and to live then as much as we do from the milk, and there's this bond, it's very, it's very heart softening, you know, kind of. Activity, hmm. um, so it's it's good. Like I said, I mean, who domesticated who? Who softened whose heart? Who took who from animality, you know, in the direction of spirituality, which means kindness and um, and and, uh, and so forth. So, so um, I don't know about the vegan idea in that regard. It seems a little un- unnatural. I think there's a natural relationship between humanity and animals that can benefit both. And so, um, uh, then, um, but 
devotees, many of them don't live in these kind of situations, so what should they do? What's their position? Well, given that, that in my opinion, milk is, is an important part of the, of the human diet, then I think that they, they are, their first alternative would be to, you know, to try to, try to get, um, milk from devotees who have milk, you know, who have cows. Beyond that, every place is different, so I don't know what the laws in here. In North Carolina, but in California, we do have um, certified raw milk dairies. They're constantly being attacked by the by the state government. It's, it's a real um, shame. But at any rate, they, the raw milk is available in, in in certain markets and so forth all over the state, so they can go and you know they can they can buy it, and, it's, and they don't. Um, um, you know, it's a better situation. They don't. Um, mistreat the cows by injecting them with hormones. It's organic milk. The cows are living largely on pasture and you know not just fattened by grains and, and so forth and and, um, and so the milk is better and doesn't have the problems or the necessity for pasteurization that you can be sure, you know, most of the milk in this country if you didn't pasteurize it, you'd be dead for drinking it. Um, even and then of course pasteurization kills other things and that's another problem. But at any rate, um, there that's that's a little less than ideal because you know they don't they don't um, uh, these dairies they um, they 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 don't take care of all of their bulls or at some point you know they don't they 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 um, they send the cows to slaughter. Some of them are, you know on some it's, it's much you know less and so forth, but. I think that um, you know people have to be a little, a little practical. I used to be very much appalled by the idea of of being a vegetarian, you know, for so long. Uh, you know, I was a vegetarian when the first health food stores were, you know, created, and uh, you know, Mr. Naturals or something. You know, Santa Cruz, I think, was the first one. Uh, anyway. Um, and it was, you know, never, you know, you would never have meat there. Of course, now you go like to Whole Foods and there's so much meat. So it was distressing to me, but I've kind of changed my thinking about it in, in, in that um, I think that, well, something's better than nothing. You know, like I have an ashram in Costa Rica and all the cows, people eat meat there, but all the cows live out, a, you know, reasonably long life on, on the pasture. It's so much different. And if the United States, for example, could be like that, it'd be so different. There would be so much less meat eaten, and and so you know you have to start you know kind of somewhere. So it's almost worth encouraging that for people who aren't going to you know go the distance to a vegetarian diet. Or now they call it a plant-based diet because the vegetarian diet carries with it moral and you know spiritual religious implications because vegetarianism in this country arose out of moral and ethical concerns and spiritual concerns, not out of health concerns. Vegetarianism attached itself to the health movement for it to grow and so forth. But now President Clinton is a plant-based eater, you know. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, he gave an interview on that. It's interesting. Uh, you know, he talked about all from a health point. You don't know, maybe he has some other ethical and moral issues that concern him, it's possible, but he's not going to say that on the national television without, you know, you know, being dismissed from any political rallies by all of the, you know, people who sell you know, meat and so forth and a big 
big, it's a big industry in this country. So, so, um, so you have kind of have, kind of have to be practical. You have to start somewhere. And so I would encourage devotees, rather than to be vegans, to buy that kind of milk and um, and milk products and so forth. Short of that, um, you know, raw milk you may not be able to get, but you, there are, for example, in California, there's there's dairies that are organic and they don't give any hormones and they, you know they 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 have some sensibility about treating cows nicely. They're not standing in you know three feet of manure for their whole life and just being pumped full of um, hormones and, uh, and and corn and, and and so forth. So, you know, these people should be encouraged as a way to look at it. Also, hmm? rather than rather than just trying to get them to go somewhere where they're not going to go. You, you have to, it's just like with bhakti. You know, I see someone's going to go so far with it. And I'm going to I'm going to harp on that part rather than what they can't do. I'm going to attach myself to what they can do, what they do, what they have done, and encourage them along those lines, and you know, and grow from there. So I think you have to look at the whole thing like that as well. And so if you can't drink your own milk from your own cow, get it from somebody else's cow. If you can't get it from there, get it from you know some cow share program, or you know from the store if they sell it, or organic. You know, you be conscientious about it. Um, and I think in almost in any state in this country, you can find um, milk that is produced by people who are have some concern for the, for the animal and for the quality of the product, which is completely tied to the well-being of the animal, of the cow. And uh, and, it, and it kind of to support that, I just say, is, is progressive and it's a step in the right direction. Like I said, if everybody in this country approached the, the meat-eating issue like like Costa Rica, I mean, the landscape would be entirely transformed. And you're always going to have meat-eaters. Humans are omnivores, you know, as far as their whatever, you know, teeth and whatnot and digestive system and so forth. There's never a time, um, you know, on Earth that... Uh, Whatever they, you know, the, the, in the Vedic times, for example, there are there are meat eaters too. And then, so if, as it restricts, and then maybe you know, you, you, you stop eating the cows and eat other things and whatever, you know. So, I think we have to be practical, and sometimes uh, devotees can can be uh, aren't so practical about that kind of thing. So that's anyway a way I would think about. It. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend. Becoming a vague, and it's, it's, it's a different philosophy, actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, your, your response to that question, it seems to me that that's very much um, it's almost a description of Varnashram and how Varnashram yeah. seems to be very easily. I don't know how easily, but it seems like it should be easily instituted in that way. It's very Something like that, yeah. Varnashram sometimes can be uh, oversimplified in devotees' minds also. Um, it's actually a pretty complex system, but the essence of it is, is certainly of, uh, is, is useful and, um, and um, even in almost essential in, uh, 
in devotee's life, even though bhakti transcends varnashram, therefore the whole concept of daiva varnashram and bhakti vinod, which meant a couple of things. It, it meant not the kind of varnashram that that insists on birth despite other qualities uh, in, a, in a person that would better determine what they're what they're like, <laughs> what their psychology is and how they might be engaged and so forth. And then on another level it means some semblance of, of, of discrimination exercised in relation to devotees, the circle of Vaishnavas and so forth, who are on the Paramahamsa Mard but not Paramahamsas and to consider their physio-psychological makeup and engage them accordingly and so forth. So. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, the rural lifestyle and the agrarian-based lifestyle is. Um, I mean, this is a popular thing in this country amongst a lot, lots and lots of people. You know, um, so you take a person like who's the person who wrote that book, Omnivores Delight? He's from California too. That's a, hmm? Yeah, yeah, Paul, yeah. So you know, it's not my cup of tea, but if everybody. Um, you ever see Food Inc? You know, I mean, he, he, these people are. Well, that's God wrote the book. He did the movie too. They're, um, you know, they're people to, to connect with, so to speak. Even though you may want to take the argument to another, another level, right? What do you think? Good. I had a point I want to make actually. Go ahead. I was kind of a plug, really, but uh, for, there might be some devotees here who don't know, but there is a, a family here who makes local milk and local ice cream and all that stuff, yogurt, sour cream, and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're here at Gopal Mandani and her husband Christian Chaitanya. Yeah. Many of the devotees don't know this. Ask some others that probably know. Very good. Yes, Tristan. Well, we have been talking a lot about Sharanagati in the last few days, and, and I think we've covered this, but I thought it might be nice to to kind of like just highlight it again. Talk about Sharanagati as, a, as an arm of bhakti, as an anga of bhakti. But we also talk about Sharanagati standing on its own. Yeah. Um, as the uh, Ramanujas have done. How does that look when it stands on its own? I mean, what is the, I mean, you know, what, does that, what does it mean? What, what, is, what is the... Yeah, well, what the Ramanuja Sampradaya means with it, by it is it's not a yoga. It's not a, a systematic uh, discipline by which the mind becomes controlled and one has internal... Uh, experience and um, you know like you're going to find their idea of bhakti is very much highlighted in the sixth chapter of the Gita where there's a mix with yoga Hmm? so this is we 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 look at that more as like bhakti mixed with with yoga but the ideal there in the sixth chapter of bhakti of, of the Gita is you do bhakti in connection with yoga and you get um, you know, by Kuntam, that was by Krishna Namacharya, the guru, the yogi guru of Iyengar and Patavi Joyce, who were very popular yoga teachers. He, that was his stated goal. He was a Ramanujan. Hmm? The goal of yoga is Ishvara Pranidhan is involved, in other words, worship of God and attainment of Vaikuntha. That was his stated ideal. So, um, so it's a very kind of system, sophisticated system, and one has to pass through Ishkam Karma Yoga and Gyan in order to sit and do Bhakti Yoga. They don't even consider hearing and chanting, for example, Bhakti Yoga. 
they don't consider the bhakti in Ramadri Sampadaya, so that's a little different um, than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching. So, that what happened, I believe, is that they, they were persons uh, ascribing to, subscribing to, you know, Vaikuntam and, uh, and out of which Sri Vaishnavism came, maybe the, some of the Alwars, who were, um, who did this prapati, sharanagati, um, people who are maybe bereft and, you know, they weren't allowed in the temple or something like that. And, uh, and they, they nonetheless, without going through all of the, uh, gradual development and whatnot, they just surrendered to, to Bhagavan. How it, how shape it took is kind of what you're asking. And I'm not sure, you know, how to, to, how to describe them, or I'm not that familiar with the, with the history, but that these people exhibited um, you know, God consciousness, so they couldn't deny them, hmm? even though they didn't do the bhakti yoga and, and so forth. Um, and so they, I think, they acknowledged sharanagati as a way unto itself. Now, there is the whole sect of Vaishnavas who do the sharanagati, right? And we talked about that. That's come out of that. And I am not, um, you know, that familiar with the Ramanujas Sampradaya to know what that the cat group, you know, we talked about the monkey group and the cat group. The monkey carries the child and the child hangs on. And this is Sharanagati as a limb of bhakti. And then the cat carries the kitten by the back of her neck and the kitten doesn't even hang on. So it's it's all Sharanagati. The God's doing everything. There's no effort on the part of the jiva. In bhakti yoga, there's some effort and there's some grace. It's all grace. So it's all, I guess, a kind of a petitioning for grace and uh, and what exactly constitutes their their whole, you know, lifestyle. How that all plays out, I, I'm not sure. It, it's sort of, I mean, uh, put it in a witness, It sounds a little bit like a born again Christianity almost. So does bhakti sometimes. You know, in our school, if, uh, it's pretty anti-nomain. It almost sounds. You know, watch out. And I'm not, that's not as a criticism. <laughs> Yes. Could you um, speak more about the self-surrender 
Atma Nivedanam. Well, again, it's 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 uh, it's it, it implies um, no ego, and that means no no agenda of one's own. It's one thing to take shelter, another thing, you know, to have your you know, uh, uh, not have any uh, any other agenda, and so your. Um, uh, in, involved in doing the bidding of of, of Bhagwan, and, and I, I suppose the the way that we can best um, sort that out, what is the bidding of, of Bhagwan, is through the representation of Bhagwan in the form of the Guru. So it's kind of a, I kind of look at it like Guru Seva, which is a, which is a Guru Bhakti. It's kind of a Bhakti that uh, is considered to be a limb of Krishna Bhakti, but sometimes it can be so extreme that Krishna Bhakti becomes a limb of Guru Bhakti, and Krishna likes that very much. That's a special kind of turnaround, but everybody's not maybe in a situation to do that because they didn't live at a distance from their Guru and and so on and so forth. But um, so. How to do that then in such situations might be the, the question to explore. Or what you know comes to comes to your mind. I would say that you know the readiness to you know to do that, the, the interest to do that when the occasion arises, then you know puts you in in the category of engaging in you know in a suspended atmani vedanam or something like that. Um, or, you know, you look at it like this is the will of Chaitanya Dev. He wants this. We know that. Hmm? So we will do that. You know, so it's, we'll identify with, 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 with that. You're eager in waiting to know, you know, what, what's wanted of me. And so when the opportunity, you know, presents itself, this is what's wanted, then there's that readiness, you know, in suspended animation becomes animated. It's sometimes talked about as, like I said, not me, nama, namaste, you know, nama. It's 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 a, it's a recognizing of the other, the significant other here is is Bhagavan. So it's a practice of not um, of trying to make my will, our will, if you want, if you will, <laughs> one with. With God's will, a cultivation of that, and you can petition like that, you know, to be the the instrument, something like that. That's what it involves, and uh, um, you know, you find, well, sometimes Bali is an example of that. You know, you put Bhaman's foot on his head, and you know, whatever you want, that's what I have to do now, something like that. So. Um, it's a little abstract, but um, but uh, that's about as concrete as I can I can make it for you. Another question? Um, mm-hmm. In Bhagavad Gita, there is uh, Krishna says that who uh, who understands his birth and, and you know disappearance, he will not be born again. So I wanted to. Uh, Understand what actually it means because it seems that well we, we have knowledge about the green we, we know about the nature of Krishna's birth nature of his departure and all that but 
uh, some other item thing that you know that's enough for me to, to go back to spiritual world. So if you could Maharaj put some light on it, what, what actually it means to, to be familiar with, with Krishna's appearance and his appearance. Yeah. Thank you for the question. He actually doesn't say familiar. He says, Janma karma chame devyam evam yo veti tattvata. So veti tattvataha is important there. To know veti tattvata in truth. So it, it, uh, it speaks of, of, of a, um, an understanding of the tattva, for example, that section of Bhagavad Gita is we call avatar tattva. This is the first place in the Gita where where bhakti is overtly being introduced, and it kind of tangentially because on a tangent because the argument is this chapter is about about gyan gyan yoga. If we study it carefully, we see it's about samanda gyan gyan that will foster bhakti. But anyway. Bhakti is introduced there. Bhaktosi This comes in this section. It's about avatar tattva, the nature of the descent of God in the world. Avatara means coming, ava, coming, tara, crossing down from up to down. So this is a interesting, uh, you know, tattva, avatar tattva. And so what the verse you're, you're citing is kind of coming at the end of that that section. So it's to be understood that Veti Tatvata there, to understand about my birth and my activities, Veti Tatvata in truth, the Tattva, Avatar Tattva, how that works and all the implications of what's been explained in the preceding verses and so forth. Um, which, interestingly, of course, the concept of the Parampara comes in that Avatar Tattva section as well, because Guru is a kind of Avatara. Yeah, I remember standing next to Prabhupada in Los Angeles when he said, and so the Guru is the incarnation of Krishna's mercy. And it just like hit me like, he's kind of with us, like Krishna's really here, and, 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 and the creep of Krishna. Uh, it said, you know, Krishna's absorbed in, in the, in, in the Premadurya of Vrindavan, so, you know, he doesn't know anything about the suffering of others. It said, by experience at least. And so, so his mercy is extended through his devotees, who primarily have had some experience of suffering, sadhana, siddha, and they have, can have empathy then for those that do. So this is kind of the general idea that the devotee is the, in, the, in the guru, kripa avatara type of a descent of the kripa of Bhagawan. So there's a lot there, I want to say, in those verses that precede that. Hmm? Um, the why of his coming, the, you know, uh, the when, the why, yada, yada, he dharmasya, it implies, you know, paritranaya sadhunam vinyashaya chaduskritam. He's coming, dharma samstapanartaya sambhavami dugeya dugeya. I mean, there's just so much in there. I've given a whole, you know, I don't know, weeks worth of, you know, what did I, then we talked with the two janmasthanes ago, we did a week long discussion day and night about avatar tattva, uh, just from that section of the Bhagavad Gita, building up to Krishna's you know, appearance day and so forth. Um, so it would be it might be in your interest to review that. Those talks are available on the on the internet. Um, SwamiTriparari.com. <laughs> 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 yeah. anyway, so um, 
it's there for you. It's, it's, it's yours as well as it is mine. It doesn't belong to any of us, that kind of knowledge. So, um, and the audience brings you know, 50% of it through down anyway. So, um, it's, there's so much there, like the idea that what is the primary reason for his coming? And he's coming for the sake of his devotees. What, why do his devotees, what need do they have? They have the need of, of separation and they're in a stage of Sarup Siddhi and they're taking birth in Krishna Leela and he's really coming for them who are the last in the last stage who are, who need to associate with the Nitya Siddhas and develop their Staibhav up to Pranay, Sneha, Man, Rag, Anurag, Bhava, Bhava relative to their dominant sentiment in connection with the eternal Parikar associates of, of Krishna. He, you know, he's coming for that reason primarily. Hmm? For those, that's paritranaya sadhunam, <laughs> to protect the sadhus from the from the long, you know, dark night of of, of the of the soul, you know, separation. So for the vipralam that that that, that um, begets union, and then how the dharma establishing the dharma and vinashaya chaduskritam dealing with the the non-devotees is so incidental. In comparison, and it's not the whole of Swayam Bhagwan. This is the Vishnu in him, and so this is all you know, pretty complex theology, and it's all packed into that section that precedes Krishna saying, "Janma Karma Chamedivyam Evam Yoveti Tattvata," and then the verse right after that also clarifies what is Veti Tattvata. I don't know it by memory, but I do remember my talk that I gave on it to some extent. And emphasizing that uh, that point, so um, it's just like this, this. This we find this kind of idea in Bengali also, where Mahaprabhu says, "Kiva vipra kiva nasi sudha kena ye Krishna tattva vita se guruai." So ye Krishna tattva vita. Who knows? Who understands the tattva of Krishna? Who knows it in truth? That person can be guru. So you know, you know the truth about Krishna, but. You're not. You don't think that you're a guru. Hmm? Um, so uh, it, you understand from that 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 implies something more. To understand the tattva, hmm? and to, there's a theoretical understanding. We can also talk about that. And there's a, then there's a practical, realized understanding as well. So it's you know when you start talking about it like this it, uh, it 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 kind of takes away a little bit it sounds like well all i have to know is the truth about krishna's birth and and activities and i'll be liberated so you can go with that for a while you know that can get you going get you on board encourage encourage you you can't tell everybody everything all at once that's just not they're not going to be able to digest that so you want to just give enough that they can digest and go forward. And sometimes you may even have to, you know, and that goes on in our sampradaya, coming from Bhakti Vinod, you may even have to, you know, add a little something to it, you know, like, you know, Siddhanta and preaching aren't always this, this exactly the same, you know, by hook or by crook, you know. Yeah, well, that one. <laughs> I know that one pretty good. Some of you are, you know, have come after that, and it's better you don't go into the details of those of you who came earlier, well, we can laugh about it now. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's um, what is the verb? Vita Raga Bhaya Kroda, in the next verse he says. Hmm? 
Hmm. Yeah. So Vita Bhagavan, he's describing there to some extent what it means to know him in truth. Vita, Raga, Bhaya, Krodha, these things are gone. Hmm. Attachment, fear, anger, hmm. Mamu Pashritaha, they've taken shelter of me and so forth. So to some extent he's, ex- he's elaborating on Vita Tattvataha. What's the verse after that? The next one. Yeah, so yeah. a little more explanation. Then, then you will understand me in different ways, and there will be you will understand my birth, my activities in different ways, and you'll get different reciprocation from me, and and, and so forth. So, so that's um, that's that's how to understand that. So Arjuna, and um, of course, he's saying there that that you won't take birth again. And of course, there's even more to that will be derived from understanding the tattva of Krishna's uh, um, activities and, uh, and and birth. You know, stopping the cycle of birth and death is a small thing. So it's good sometimes to use that in a in a in a, in a sim- more simplistic way. But um, the more we grow in progress, it's interesting because the more we grow in progress, the more the verses ask more of us. <laughs> they never stop. Something like that. They sound. This sounds great. I'll just understand this, and I'm perfect. And then, then what does it mean to understand that? And, and, and they just. They, they call more and more from you all the time. Another question? Does that help? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, could you explain a little more about Shaktivijalaka? Uh, mm. You know, we sometimes see a, uh, you know, voice say, Prabhupada is a Shaktivijalaka. And it almost feels like, oh, that's a done deal, you know, that he didn't really have anything to do with his surrender. It was just basically so, but I also think of it the acid and then there's even other Shakyavijayatars who don't even seem to be devoted or, or whatever, you know. So it seems like Krishna empowers the living entity to do stuff, whatever that stuff is. Uh-huh. Well, the topic of, um, so that's part of Avatar Tattva. Mm. Right. Mm, that's a, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes people say that my guru is a is the avatar of Krishna, avatar of Krishna. So then the devotee will ask, which type is he? <laughs> is he the Yuga avatar, the Manmantar avatar, the Shaktivesha avatar, the Leela avatar, the, the Guna avatar? You know, then uh, then you think that person should think. I should ask this person about what an avatar is. This is the great, in a sense, contribution of the Goswamis. They've gone over this like Logu Bhagavatamrita of um, Rupa Goswami. Um, another approach to explaining Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, in a sense, and going through all the different types of avatars. If you find the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explaining this to Sanatana Goswami at length in Chaitanya Charitamrita as well, <clears throat> Um, and so, the the Shaktyavesha is 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 one of those, and you know, basically means that to be empowered avesh by a particular potency of Bhagwan for a particular purpose. 
Prithu is a Palana Shakti. You know, he's empowered for, for ruling. Vyas Gyan Shakti, for giving knowledge. Nard is considered like Bhakti Shakti. So, with regard to Prabhupada, for example, um, it was um, Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj who, I think, I think Agamba, the Yajabar Maharaj mentioned it once, and Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj, you know, emphasized that at the time, shortly after Prabhupada's passing, he said such wonderful things about our guru that's become like you know commonplace in every devotee's you know vocabulary when they open the book about Prabhupada. You know, he's a Shaktivesha avatar. You know, who the heck is Sridhar Maharaj? You know, <laughs> well, he's the one who told you that Prabhupada was a Shaktivesha avatar. He was the one that had the insight, the theological insight, and to make that point. I can tell you frankly. None of Prabhupada's disciples would have ever said Prabhupada was a Shakti Avatar. We just thought we would commit a sin. We could just call Prabhupada God, probably. You know, but but Sridharmarsh made that point, and um, so it's you know been you know taken everywhere and so forth, and uh, even by people who have no appreciation or understanding of the contribution of Pujapada Sridharmarsh. Um, he said that by way of glorifying Prabhupada. But Sridharmarsh's glorifications were not simply idle. Hmm? So they were well-reasoned. There was always scriptural support for whatever he said. Hmm? Um, and so the wise um, student and eventual uh, successor of Sridhar Marsh one day asked, the groomers, you have said that uh, Swami Prabhupada, he was a Shaktivesh. And so what is that Avesh? What Avesh? Because there's different kinds of Avesh, of empowerment. So then Sridhar Marsh, you know, he came out with it, what he thought. And he obviously had thought about it for quite a while. Hmm? And so his remark initially, as I say, was not idle. Hmm? Um, and so he said, in my estimation, Nityanandavesh. So he's empowered by by the, the Shakti of Nityananda Prabhu to do. And then he started to describe the nature of the work that he did, and all gave all these parallels to the type of outreach of Nityananda Prabhu and so forth. And, you know, this is the kind of the science, if you will, as probably just like to talk about it, of, of bhakti. Hmm? And, um, you know, and it, and it ascended also to the, to the height of him, you know, speaking about his uh, understanding of Prabhupada's sentiments uh, spiritually, his aspiration, his ideal. Hmm? His, um, you know, in relation to Krishna and so forth, and how that all connected, you know, it's quite fascinating, you know, to hear him say that and with such support, you know, with what we call Shastra Yukti, the logic hinged or tied to, to Shastra reasoning about that and, and so forth, and his own, um, uh, you know, his own insight and, uh, and, you know, the fact that he lived with Prabhupada for many years, they were very close for six years in Prabhupada's house. And, you know, I, I sat with him and heard him. I never heard anybody speak more affectionately or more beautifully about Prabhupada than Sridhar Maharaj. This is the reason I, I hung out with him, you know, or, you know, I should say I took shelter of him. That was, you know, was, uh, the, you know, the reason. And that wasn't something I was looking for necessarily, but, you know, you don't sometimes, you know, you, they say, what do you, you know, you, 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 what do they say? Anyway. It becomes, to, you know, you take advantage of it. So what can you do? I mean, that uh, that's how I got involved with Prabhupada, you know. He turned my head around. So if you get it again, then you figure it must be coming from the same tree here. So, um, 
So he anyway he, he he gave that kind of explanation. So what does it mean anyway? It, you know, it, it it means that, and Prabhupada, of course, and he reasoned well. And Prabhupada prayed for empowerments, mm-hmm. and I was so surprised. He knew the poem on on the, on the Jaladuta that Prabhupada had had written. He knew the poem, and and he knew the significance of it from his perspective, which was not well. It was it was known by us. To some extent, there are things in there that just you know stand out like a road you know sign. You know, Prabhupada is expressing his sentiments in a very intimate moment, that not for publication or anything like that. Uh, his inner you know bhajan he's expressing there, and so you know you have to. That's why that one poem is so powerful. Someone said, "Well, you know, he just said one line and one poem," but. You know, Jiva Goswami gives that argument that people say, well, you've taken one line from one verse, Krishna's two, brother one, so I am, and made so much out of it. He said, well, he says, well, the sutras are only small lines too, but they mean a lot, you know. The fact that the line is small or the incident is small, the quality of it is what's important. Look at the quality of this prayer. What is, what is, where does it come from? Where was he, you know, what was the setting and environment and so forth? And, and he just put, uh, he really plumbed the depths of that. Here he is in the ocean, you know, he's so, so much a Sharanagata. There he is on the boat, and he's having a heart attack, and, you know, he's going to a country he doesn't know, you know, anything about, where he's going to get his next meal. Talk about, you know, Madukari. You know, we talked about this the other day, going from house to house, whatever anybody gives you, you eat. He's going on a boat, he doesn't know if there's anything to eat over there. <laughs> Even, you know, they don't make chapatis in, in New York, you know. There wasn't the whole, you know, Hindu colony and, you know, the queens or whatever at the time, you know. So, um, very, you know, um, uh, emptied himself out and a prayer to be filled up. Was his prayer, part of the prayer, with the power to do, you know, what was an impossible task in his own in his own mind, and then the you know the furthering of that that you know if you do that and I'm successful by your grace then in fulfilling my Guru Maharaj's desire then my desire is you know first deserve then desire this poem is so nice we could have talked about it in relation to Sharanagati because it shows both things it shows Sharanagati hmm, what did Bhakti Vinod say says he says uh, what is that song we were singing. He says, Mahabhu Gaur Sundar came with his associates to give um, the, uh, the next line, this uh, Prem. Hmm? And Shikai uh, Sharanagati, Sharanagati, Bhakatir Pran, you know, and to teach the ways of Sharanagati. So we've shown the connection between the two. The prayer has both these things, and it has a beginning of, uh, he shows Sharanagati, and in the end, he shows his, his aspiration. Ragmarg, his the longing. Hmm? He prays for submission, and and then he then he prays in longing, and so it's very instructive. I mean, uh, it's it's very deep, and he um, 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 and so you see the one is fostering, you know, the 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 other, and uh, and so the part where he's Expressing his longing to be united with Krishna in a particular way, in a particular sentiment, and so forth. It's very, this is very, very powerful. It's, 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 it says, you know, it, this is the kind of thing that in any sect, if of Gaudiya Vaishnavas, of any Acharya, 
says anything like that, the disciples would just grab onto that immediately and say, there it is. You know, there's no, I mean, the people grab onto much less than that, I'll tell you, to make, you know, their case for the, the, the ideal of their, of their guru way, way, way more or less than that. It's very powerful. And Shudamash can understand that. So, at any rate, um, he said, you know, Nityananda Avesh, he said that he emptied himself out and he made the prayer for empowerment. So he, and he did it in a clever way in conversing with his, you know, his friend, Krishna, dear Krishna, you know, it will be good for you if you, you know, please Radharani, you know, that'll be good for you if you please Radharani. So my guru is representing Radharani's camp and she wants me to do something. You should give me the power to do that. And then I think your life will be successful. You know, this is, <laughs> this is the gist of the prayer. So how could Krishna refuse such a thing? Like, wow, you know that. They think, yeah, okay, you know. So, um, you know, he gave him his best friend. Who's Krishna's best friend? That's Balaram. He's the best friend of Krishna. Hmm? So he sent Balaram, he helped this guy out, you know, something like that. So, so that is Nithanandapu, that of Esh. And any Christian, you know, Shidamarsh, I'm developing a little bit from what Shidamarsh said, but he gave so many parallels between the work, the nature of the preaching of Nithanandapu and that of our, our prophet and so forth. So anyway, this is a type of, uh, of Esh. It, it can be, it's usually temporary. Hmm? It may be permanent. It's given for a particular purpose, and then it may be withdrawn. And we find that in the example of what Parashurama was given for some time, and it was withdrawn. Um, and there are innumerable different potencies of Bhagavan that one may be um, empowered by. Hmm? That's the general idea, and that's kind of how it applies to, to problems. So it's it's you know it's it's important, I think, you know, to to when when. A term like this, in relation to Prabhupada, is so widely used, and and sometimes it's used in such a um, uh, a, a divisive, you know, kind of way. When its genesis was, you know, that should be sought, searched out, and uh, and understood. That will bring unity, not division. And. Um, and uh, you know, it's almost you could say, probably just the sake of Sakti Avatar, and it wouldn't be a glorification. And there's another point. I mean, the point about glorifying Prabhupada is, um, is you know, the, uh, I wrote something years ago. I was invited to Mayapur in 1995 by Tamal Krishna Maharaj and Giriraj Maharaj and a few others who had been associated with uh, Siksha Guru, and they wanted to to support them in terms of their the philosophical principle that they were had attached themselves to the idea that you could have a Siksha Guru that might not be in ISKCON and you know because I mean these things are not something to legislate you cannot legislate how much one loves their Guru or, or you know which Guru these things if we understand the philosophy that comes from Krishna <laughs> Krishna arranges for the Guru so that we can't we're not supposed to get in there and, and uh, you know and change his opinion, you know, change his decision and so forth. They said, they say the guru, you know, finds the, the, the disciple, waits for the disciple to figure that out, usually too. But, um, um, you know, that's why the whole idea of legislating the electionism is a very, very difficult and awkward idea, while at the same time some 
kind of rules and form to the thing is important. Even the Goswamis have given that, and, and so on. And there's a form to, you know, a shape to parameters to Rasa Tattva and all too. But, um, but, um, but anyway, the free flow of faith that should be that should be the rule. <laughs> Allow the free flow of faith, and uh, you know, it's a divine kind of. Regular, what's my anyway? So yeah, well, let's see what I was saying. So I went there in 1995 uh, to support them in that regard, and I don't remember what I was going to say. Huh? Yeah, right. So that so that sat there. Yeah, yeah. So so I sat there for you know, and then the, the whatever their the dynamics of the group at the time wasn't working the way those who had invited me hoped it would, and so I wasn't given an opportunity myself and Sripadnar Srinivarsh to address the, the committee as they had hoped. And so we were just kind of like, okay, let's get out of here, you know, because we'll go now. And um, I thought, well, I mean, I should write something. These people invited me here, and then, you know, they didn't, then they didn't ask me to, you know, talk, and they haven't said anything to me, so... So I, so I wrote a little something, and in the context of writing a philosophical you know, letter to the, to the group, I said, there's a problem with ISKCON, and I think it's over-glorification of Prabhupada. And I said, I know you're, that's it, you're gonna, that's it, you're writing me off right there, but please read on, I'll explain myself what I mean, you know, and, and I did. And that, the first time I came to North Carolina, incidentally, uh, in, 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 uh, in the Prabhupada village, I was invited there, and I don't go where I'm not invited. Uh, someone in the village, Prabhupada village, had taken, had found that letter and taken this section where, uh, you know, I said over glorification of Prabhupada, stuffed that in every mailbox, and so, wow. so that no one would come and hear from, from me. And uh, I've come here many times since since then, and it happened again this time when I went to Prabhupada Village. Some people told me they got it in the mailbox, they came anyway. So, you know, the point is that there, the, the, the Chidamarsh glorified Prabhupada in a way that was in concert with the philosophy. We have the example of Sarup Damodar in Chaitanya Charitamrita, he's the secretary of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So people would come with poems, songs, and glorifications of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But they would be read by Swarup Damodar, and some of them were not appropriate. You could call them under or over or inappropriate is kind of what I meant, glorifications of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They would be dismissed if they didn't fit within the parameters of Siddhanta and Rasa Tattva, they would be rejected. So the glorification of Sridharmarsh on the part of Prabhupada, or Prabhupada on the part of Sridharmarsh with regard to the Shakti Vesh, like I said, he explained it all, supported it all, and so forth. I mean, I could go out and say, Prabhupada is better than God, you know, I mean, that's a glorification, I suppose, but it's his worst nightmare at the same time. And, you know, also Prabhupada is, 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 it did what he did. It's a historical, you know, fact, and uh, it's good to stay with, you know, what he actually did instead of saying, he, you know, he's not Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you know, he's not the Yuga I mean, I've heard people say that he's the Yuga uh, Acharya. You know, I mean, I probably never said anything like that. Hmm? If there's a Yuga Acharya, it would be Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is who, the Yuga Avatar, who is Krishna in his Acharya Leela. So, you know, there's a way that you can over-glorify or inappropriately glorify, and there's some people that should know about that and monitor that and not allow, allow that 
to go on because it's problematic. Mm-hmm. In you know, in, in in more ways than one. The example is there in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So, you know, instead, you know, people read one line and that's it, and they don't know the philosophy. So, um, it was a beautiful thing anyway what Chudamarsh did, and now people use that same glorification almost to say that and they say he's the he's the Shaktivesh, and and therefore nobody else knows anything, and for the next ten thousand years, somebody can't told me just the other day. Well, Prabhupada's the uh, is the acharya for the next thousand ten thousand years, and he said that. I said, you know, you show me that. You know, he didn't say that, dear. You know, <laughs> I think you should follow Prabhupada, but he didn't say that. <laughs> but he's the acharya for the next ten thousand years. You know, there's the one thing. His books are going to be the law books for the next ten thousand years. Find that one for me. You know, Swatrupmar so said that Prabhupada said it to him in the car one day in Los Angeles. You know, in passing. It's not something to make the whole philosophy around, to center the whole mission around. Prabhupada said one thing like that, yes, my books will be the law books for the next 10,000 years. And then 10,000 times, he said, preaching should be done according to time and place and circumstance. Well, God, 10,000 years is a huge time and a lot of different places and circumstances. And we're going to take a teaching you know, from 10,000 years ago and it's going to be applicable in every sense for, for, for 10,000 years. I mean, that's, you know, 10,000 times, he said, or more, you know. Preaching. This is the whole principle of Guru Parampara, that the circumstances change, hmm? the times change, the teaching has to be talked about in light of that, and so forth. It's not that what the previous Acharya said is, becomes irrelevant, but he becomes or she becomes a poor Vacharya, and we relate to the poor Vacharya in a particular way, not like the present Acharya. It's a, you're, you're, you're mixing you know, terms inappropriately, and it's become, it becomes unbecoming. It's not beautiful. It's it's crossing the, the etiquette. It's it's not. It's, it has philosophical implications. It causes problems and so forth. So all these things are important to sort out. And uh, you know that's what I was addressing. Interestingly enough, this is 1995 that I wrote that, and it was I said stuffed in the mailboxes here in 2010. I had a very nice discussion with uh, Beer Krishnamar. She started the you know, community here that many of you here are, are here on account of. And he, and he had talked with me. He said, you know, the problem with this con is that they're over-glorification of Prabhupada. <laughs> I remember saying that a while back. I agree with you, Maharaj. Couldn't agree with you more, you know. <laughs> so, you know, truth has its way, you know, of you know, being heard and embraced in due course of time. So it may not be by everybody all at once, and, and truth will not always be, you know, the most palatable thing. And he might, Sridharmarsh once said, well, you know, um, I've lived alone for the most part my whole life, but at least I always spoke the truth. What I actually felt was true. I stood up for that, and that's what I lived for. If it made me live alone, I, I lived with the truth anyway. Hmm. So that's the kind of character that is, uh, we, should, we should cultivate. Hmm. Yes? I was thinking of this exact principle, Maharaj. That Ganapati Swami, he's been uh, traveling around the universities for 30 odd years, yeah. distributing Prabhupada's bag and keeping him. Mm-hmm. But he distributes uh, sad British books, many of us also. Mine too, yeah. Right, and yours. Yeah. Absolutely. However, he, there was a phenomenon happening that he'd been noticing year after year after year, and that's that people would get Prabhupada's bag and keep and they would not understand it. Hmm. And so, about two years ago, Ryan Shaw, or God brother Ryan Shaw, wrote a bag of a for his kids. 
And it's a really beautiful Bhagavad Gita. It's very simple, very straightforward. It isn't elaborate like Prabhupada's. There's no transfer or anything. So, Gaudapati Swami decided he would test, he would take that Bhagavad Gita and <coughs> use it as an introduction to Prabhupada's. It worked marvelous. Uh-huh, yeah. And what's basically, so then he paid for a print of that Bhagavad Gita and now he distributes both side by side. But the point is, that's exactly your point, I think. Yeah. That when you think of, you know, an innovation, that's exactly Krishna consciousness is. Mm-hmm. That he is Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita. Now, some people would say there is no other Bhagavad Gita. Of course there's other Bhagavad Gita. There should be. You know, Prabhupada was say, once told, uh, I think it was Hayagriva, he was in a room with Hayagriva, and he said, so what book do you think I should write next? And uh, I agree, we didn't nearly have an answer. Um, and Prabhupada was, said, or maybe I agree, we asked Prabhupada, what book will you, yeah, what book will you write next? And Prabhupada talked for him and he said, I think maybe Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> and I agree, we said, Prabhupada, you already did the Bhagavad Gita. You know, Prabhupada said, oh, there's going to be so many Bhagavad Gitas. Bhakti Vinod himself wrote, you know, two, two commentaries on Bhagavad Gita. And so, yeah, I mean, this is the whole principle of Guru Parampara, that the, 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 Kind of a connotation, one after another, handing it down, one after another, carefully, and so forth. And so it's intact, you know, it doesn't change, and so forth. And then it says kalena but but it's necessary by the influence of time, and time implies change. And so you have to take it. It's a, it's a, it's a you know it's a one and different kind of thing. It has to be the same, but it's different at the same time. It's different in presentation. And according to the audience, and, and it, that's the business of the acharya to bring it out in a way that it makes sense to people in the times in which you know, they, they 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 live. And that doesn't mean to say that what a previous acharya is written, but isn't valuable for all time. And we like to read the books of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, but we wouldn't distribute them at the university, hmm. uh, you know. And Prabhupada didn't either, hmm. right? Yeah. Somebody told me, I'll tell you what this is all about. Somebody told me an acharya in Godiamath, and he's well known, not not very well known probably by many of the devotees here, but in Godiamath, he was a disciple of one of Prabhupada's disciples, and he was had made a big literary contribution. And I was talking with him once. I happened to be in the vicinity, and he. He said to me, he said, your Guru Maharaj has kept Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta in the closet. Yeah. In other words, you know, we in our math, we have published all of Bhakti Siddhanta's books and we're distributing them and you know, putting him out in the front and glorifying him and, you know, he's the, the great, you know, Acharya and we are just, you know, following in his footsteps and we're just kind of bringing people to him, kind of a thing. You know, it's like that to some extent. Have you ever heard that before? Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Well, I said to him, you know, you know, you want to get it straight. My Guru Maharaj put Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta on every altar and every home, you know, in America and Europe and South America and, and have a nice day, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he really did, right? And he didn't, 
have the Vyasa Sama for Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and his and uh, you know all of his books published and you know I learned more personally about the personal life of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur from Sridhar Marsh and Bhakti Pramod Puri Marsh than I did from Prabhupada. Hmm? He didn't really say that much about it. Hmm? But that he that I mean who 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 of Prabhupada's disciples doesn't know that that Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitaka was his disciple. I mean, everybody knows. I mean, and if they don't, then they're not following Prabhupada. They don't really. They didn't really, you know, get it. And it could get like that if you. Didn't. So this is a kind of uh, what it means, you know, to represent substantially. In other words, you you do it maybe differently because it's different time and circumstance. But the essence, the principle, is delivered. The details. That's the whole thing. What are details? What are principles? That's what somebody in, in a position of doing significant outreach has to understand. And, and the details can be changed to deliver the principle. So many devotees don't understand the difference between details and principles. And so they, they change the principle, you know, or they, they can't identify the, they can't identify with someone who's changing the details, even when the person's having success. Hmm? They just they go into denial. It can't be success. It can't be working. It's not supposed to. That's the way I understood it. It's not really working. You know, and if you're not careful, that starts to turn into envy. Hmm? If you don't want, if you don't start to change, your heart doesn't start to change, and then it starts to turn into envy. It's the most unbecoming thing for a devotee. And then before you find the devotee is finding fault. In the things that the that, that, that even common person would say, well, he's doing something good, or you know, or, or, and we, we find that kind of thing. I, that's uncanny how people can do it. I mean, I've seen it on the internet. People find, turn something beautiful that somebody did into the into like it was like from hell or something. In, in the context of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, this is deplorable. This is this is this is what happened. Person. They're resisting progress, is what it really means. It's a resistance to progress. Progress comes, it calls on us. It makes demands upon us hmm? to go forward, to change, to, to expand our, our understanding and so forth. And we can resist it only so long without it starting to become productive. And in the worst case scenario, it turns to this. You know, like we take Prabhupada. You know, Prabhupada came, Prabhupada did what he did. That's it. That's it. That's, that's, you know, for you know, who's people worry about keeping Prabhupada in the center? I'm wondering, like, how could he possibly, you know? I mean, what he did is what he did. I mean, how's that going to be erased? Uh, you know, uh, um, who, else do it? Hmm? Who, who else did it? He did it. Yeah, I mean, that's a historical, you know, a, a celebration for the whole Sampradaya. You know, the whole Sampradaya is nourished by that. And, and, and people outside this, the sect of his know it. They're not going to forget it or something, you know, and nobody's going to duplicate it. I mean, if I was to do something great and extraordinary, it'd still be different, you know, and I won't, so I don't have to worry about that. But, 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 uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, the disappearance of the guru means now it's time to go within. In other words, his outward day came and he met you and picked you up. Now he's gone to the Aprakat Leela. Now it's your time to find him within. That means if you really, to love the Guru, 
you have to go and find him within. The more you want to keep him outside here only, is the extent that you're unwilling to take him within your heart and, and contact him on a higher level or a deeper level. And then in the context of doing that, one who is in the succession, who's taken that, that's, it's his day, or it's there, it's the disciples of that person. That's a beautiful thing, you know, their children, let them have their day, you know, let them have their Prabhupada, you know, that's what I had. So for whatever it's worth, that's, that's what's, that's what the oldest senior people, the elders are supposed to do. And, and they will be elders and they will be appreciated as wise and deep for being able to take Prabhupada in their heart and not feel challenged about their relationship with probably because somebody else had a flower waved at them, you know, or something, or, you know, or somebody made a mistake or made a deviation you know, in the name of the parampara. That happens all the time. You know, it's, people say, well, it's these Western gurus. I mean, there's no place per capita that has more bogus gurus than India, you know, where the guru institution has been misrepresented more. There's nowhere in India. So that happens. That's, that's, that's not something to make a philosophy around or tweak or twist or change the philosophy around. Hmm? So it's incumbent upon Prabhupada's disciples who are, you know, 50, 60, you know, 70 years old. I don't think anybody's younger than that in his, you know, you know, who are his immediate disciples. They, they have to go, they have to contact him within. They have to, they have, this is, this is now, this is the leela of separation. So the heart's supposed to grow fonder. You have to go within. What did he mean? What did he say? Shudamar told us, oh, your Guru Maharaj has left him. Now you have to think, what did he say? What was the what was the meaning, the deeper meaning? What was the essence of that? What was the spirit of that? And so forth. Find him within. And therefore, he always helped us like that. Find him within. Hmm? Find him within. And so he took us, encouraged us to go deeper and just boil the milk. At what time, you know, more than that? He's not going to stay here, Prabhupada. That's his leela. He's gone. Hmm? Krishna wants him there. You say, well, I want him here. Oh, you know, <laughs> Prabhupada told us, here's what you pray, right? What did he say? In the end, we asked him, if Krishna wants you to stay, you know, Krishna, if, you, if it's your desire, let Prabhupada remain or something like that, right? So, it wasn't his desire that he remain. Krishna wants him. Hmm? Herding cows. So, you know, we're supposed to go against that? Try to keep him here? He's really here. You know, he's here in the context of a poor vachari, he'll be here the more you actually find him in your heart. Hmm? Can you be, then in every god, whether a god sister wants some respect, and so, you know, <laughs> earn it, you know, to take this, you know, anyway, I'm Prabhupada's, you know, disciple, and you should, you know, I see these guys, you should respect me, and, you know, and, and you don't know what you're talking about, you don't even know how to pick a guru, you know, what, you know, what you got, I'll tell you, people today know about, you know, about 98% more than I knew about Gaudiya Vaishnavism when they choose their guru. I mean, we didn't know anything. There were no books, practically, just, you know, a couple and and, um, and so forth. So Krishna, you know, sent the guru. The guru found us and so forth. Give people, you know, some, some credit, you know, for being sincere and intelligent and... Uh, and uh, and you know, yeah, sincere about their bhakti, and that, that and the idea that Krishna will, you know, manifest, send them a guide, and then then honor it and so forth. So if the seniors anyway can can, can do this kind of thing, then they really be serious. They really be venerable and, and 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 appreciative. If they're always trying to monitor 
how much you're going to worship your guru because it's going to get in the way of Prabhupada's worship. You know, it's total. It's a total misunderstanding hmm, of of what is you know what's what what takes place with the disappearance of the guru. You're trying to keep him here, and he's not. Krishna wants him there. Hmm? That means he wants somebody else. You know, it, it to 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 you know whatever, you know, take the uh, that that position, and Krishna wants to you know appreciate that, and and so you have to give these, uh, isn't it? You have to give these uh, the new generation the day. Yeah, I mean, what all I want, see, you know, in this regard, you know, it pains me actually, but. That, um, I want to see that people get the same experience that I had. And I know that I cannot foster my experience you know, onto them and make it theirs. Hmm? You understand? I, my experience with Prabhupada, I can't foster it to them. For one generation, I could say it was great and you can have a connection with Prabhupada. You know? I mean, it, but it's just not the same. Hmm? It's, it, 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 in between one generation, it's a little closer, but after two or three, so, I want them to do that. I, I, you know, and so I took this kind of service with the encouragement of Sridhar Maharaj because I felt, well, you know, whatever, I know something and there's some, a lot of misrepresentation going on for here for sure, those of us have been around. So I thought, you know, oh, we're good to, we'll go for it. Krishna will protect me. We'll do something here. And here we are. You know, I don't know what we're doing, but we're, but we're trying to give people the, at least, you know, the right uh, philosophical understanding. And yeah. Sorry. Um, in regards to, um, see if I can express myself, in regards to writing books, and yeah. since the social climate and this general consciousness of the planet is changing so fast, faster and faster, um, the planet is getting smaller, there's a lot of technology, etc., etc. Um, and the personal development, or the personal growth of the writer, the author, the guide, uh, after 20 years, things have changed. So, looking back at what one produced 20 years before, in, in terms of one's realizations and understanding, of course, there is the, um, the truth there, but the way it was presented may be not as applicable 20 years later. Mm-hmm. What is your take on that, you who are an author yourself, when you look at your books that were written years ago and things are changing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with writing. You know, you never finish. You just, uh, you never want to go to the press because it's always something. You read it, oh, I should have said that. I should have added that and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I started writing books because um, by force of circumstances, I had to leave a particular sect. And, um, and the sect wouldn't sell me the books of the founder to sell, which I was pretty good at selling. So I thought, well, you got to have some books. So I figured, well, I had never written anything but a letter, you know, at that time, to be honest with you. So I thought, well, I better write a book or something. So that's how we started. <laughs> started writing books and, you know, those aren't my best book and they're not bad, but... But that's what Prabhupada wanted, isn't it? Yeah, he wanted people that. People keep growing through sure. their own personal experiences with their own writings, through sharing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, you, you can. Any, you, so, yeah, any writer, any, any speaker, or whatnot, even in the spiritual circle and so forth, you're going to find development in time. You can look at the Goswami's books, and you can see development also. Hmm? Um, so, 
yeah, that's 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 natural. I was just thinking about Shukadeva Goswami, the name being parrot, and the parrot bites the fruit even sweeter. So mm-hmm. generations after generations, each time someone else re- repeats this teaching, it, it gets sweeter. So yeah. that we read something, well, this is really sweet, it's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. So we can keep repeating and, and it keeps growing. Yeah, I mean, uh, Shukadeva gave the speech of the Bhagavatam and Vyasa and Narada. Vyasa was the guru of Sukadeva and Nard was the guru of Vyasa. And they were both sitting there listening to what would he say? <laughs> we taught him the Bhagavatam. Now he's going to speak it. What's he going to say? Wow, we were interested to hear. They knew the nature of the subject matter and knew that if a qualified person would speak about it, new insight, new light would would come. It's kind of like the opening of a, you know, of a flower. Hmm? And there is no end to the possibilities. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's the whole idea. And therefore, and you know, I can tell you personally, like, uh, you know, if you, if you write a book, you can actually, you, you, you think about what, you know, you think as far as you can, what people will think, what they are thinking, how they might respond. I mean, how, you can't do that entirely for every thought and every person, especially for time and changes of generations and so forth. It's just impossible. So, it has, Books of this nature, of spiritual nature, have relevance for all time, but they will be more relevant in the time that they were written, for sure. It's interesting because when, when I first started to read Bhaktivinoda Guru's books, I, thought, I felt that he had just written that book. Well, Bhaktivinoda is pretty interesting. It was a 21st century book, it is like timely. Yeah, you get a little bit of that feeling from him, the way he wrote. But then again, I mean, Jaiva Dharma is a novel. And it's not a novel like today's novel. If you said, here's a novel, people go, what, this is a novel? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, yeah, he was very, um, he was writing for times ahead of his time almost. Yeah, he, that's what he was doing. Prabhupada wasn't doing that in the same way. Prabhupada had certain things in mind that he wanted to establish in his writing. And if you read it, you can see it. He wanted to establish what is Mayavad and get that out of the way. So you can't become a devotee without getting that out of the way. He goes out of his way to write about it. Even the verse isn't talking about it. He's talking about it in half the purports. You know? So you can see he has an agenda here. It's a good agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And it's it, and the other thing, Krishna's too Bhagavan Swayam. What do you think the Supreme Personality of God did? Krishna said, and the Supreme Personality of God. I mean, it's like, this is from a literary point of view, redundancy. You know, It's a little bit... But he's saying over and over again, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam in English. I mean, that's basically what it means. That's the key Paribhas Shloka that opens the whole essence of the Bhagavatam according to Jiva Goswami. And, 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 and also to do Rag Bhakti or to enter Golok, uh, you have to know. You have to know that Krishna is the Supreme and of course you forget that and do course in, in Bhava, but you can do that Raga if you know Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God. If you're going to give unlimitedly, you have to know who's going to take unlimitedly. Narayan can't take unlimitedly. Hmm? Right? Krishna can take unlimitedly. That's, in other words, he can take all forms of love and reciprocate. Hmm? So, you have to have that end of the equation. You have to you know where to give the love that you can give unlimitedly, and you have to give without expecting uh, any getting. Hmm? Yes. Um, okay, I just had two small questions. Uh, I was trying to understand uh, uh, more deeply. Uh, you mentioned uh, overqualifying, overqualifying to Prabhupada. Uh, so, first question would be, what would be? Um, Problem with doing that uh, since Krishna 
actually um, encouraged us to worship his devotee more than him. And uh, the second question, um, isn't there uh, danger that future generations may take cheaply Prophet's um, accomplishments if they don't really emphasize what he did? Well, well, I think you're you're missing the drift of my um, argument, and that is that there's no there's there's no limit to which you can glorify your guru. Hmm? There's no limit to which you can glorify Prabhupada. Therefore, hmm? okay, if Prabhupada's your guru or grand guru, or whatever. So there's no limit, but. The glorification has to be actual glorification. It may appear as glorification, but it may constitute apasadanta. And in that case, then it's it's qualitatively not um, really a glorification. Let us, and I've gave given an example. Let us say you say, Prabhupada is the Yuga Acharya. The Sampradaya Acharya. He's the Acharya for the whole Sampradaya. Um, Prabhupada never used the term Sampradaya Acharya. He never taught us anything like that. He never explained to us that he's the Sampradaya Acharya, that there'll be no Acharyas for the next 10,000 years after him. He never taught anything like that. He taught something quite different from that. Hmm? And he said in many cases he wanted his disciples to be to, to initiate and carry on with the Parampara. And that's a standard. Prabhupada taught the standard Gaudiya, you know, Siddhanta. These kind of things are distortions of the Siddhanta. Again, if anybody is the Yuga Acharya, it's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Jiva Goswami wrote that, he said, pretty much. He said, you know, it's Kali Yuga and it's Sarvasambhadi, and he says, our, you know, Acharya is uh, some Sampradaya Acharya. I think I don't think he used that term. He said uh, uh, something to that effect. But anyway, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. He's in his Acharya Leela. He's the founder of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Now, if we were to, you know, and some people tend to do this, separate Prabhupada from the whole lineage hmm, and glorify him and call him the Sampradaya Acharya or the founder of the, you know, it's, it would, that would be inappropriate, right? That, you, I mean, I can tell you, Prabhupada wouldn't like to hear that. Hmm? That Prabhupada was being put in the place, for example, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? That would be... In 1972, probably very upset on something not that quite the same. Right, right, right. Misglorified. Yeah. So there's a... I've given an example of of, of Srubdhamadar. People glorified Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They had a good sentiment. They wanted to glorify him, but their sentiment was not in concert with Siddhanta. So it became unpalatable, and it wouldn't be offered. And Srubdhamadar would would mediate that. Hmm? He would filter that out. So the glorification has... Not only... You know, glorification in this context is an expression of love, right? But our love, when we talk about love, we talk about wise love. That means it has to be according to the Siddhanta. Hmm? Otherwise, it just becomes a sentiment. And Prabhupada himself said, what? That sentiment without philosophy, you know what he said? Yes, fanaticism. Hmm? And philosophy without sentiment is just mental, you know, gymnastics. It actually came from Napoleon, I think. He said, or, or no, or maybe it was yeah, either Napoleon or Tagore. Rabin enough to anyway. Prabhupada employed that, and so um, what I'm talking about is a sentiment 
without philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it may sound great. People, Prabhupada, you know, John, you know, it looks like you know they're in love Prabhupada, you know. But that, but who are they talking about? I'm looking at them like you know, you're talking about Prabhupada. You're using the name, but what you're talking about is something really different from what my experience was, what I was taught and, and, and experienced firsthand. What is he in the context of being a Gaudi Acharya and so forth? So that's the one point of your question. The other point is if you asked if we don't glorify Prabhupada. Isn't there a danger that people in the future will forget and so forth? And well, um, I'm not saying we shouldn't glorify Prabhupada. We do. I'm just saying we shouldn't glorify him in a way that's not in concert with the philosophy. That will be problematic. Then you will have fanaticism rather than Gaudiya Siddhanta, which is beautiful and becoming and so forth. So, of course, you should glorify Prabhupada. And, uh, and then how you will do that, that will be different for different people. But um, here we are. Look at the way Prabhupada glorified Bhakti Siddhanta. Have we forgotten about him? No. And Prabhupada wasn't glorifying Bhakti Siddhanta the way some people feel they need to glorify Prabhupada or else there'll be a problem. Hmm? I'm saying that the Prabhupada did it in a way that naturally put him in our lives and in our prayers and uh, and so forth. So that's the way it should be done. Does that help? Yes. Are you convinced? You have to think about it. <laughs> okay. So Tom was Parampara. I've often wondered this question. Krishna says, Evam Parampara Prapta, that the, uh-huh. the Parampara was broken, but now he's re-establishing it through Arjuna. But then, where's that Sampradaya? Oh yeah, well that, that's a different thing. I mean, He's just talking about the principle there. Yeah, it's not that Arjuna became an acharya or something, and, and you know, he's just talking about the principle of avatar tattva in the context of that, the, the descent of the guru, which is a type of avatara or descent of divinity in the world. Hmm? So, you know, we have our gaudiya sampradaya. Hmm? Our sampradaya begins with with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Of course, you could say it begins with Madhva and from Brahma and so forth, and we do. We do say that, but you know, this is um, uh, it's the Chaitanya Sampradaya. It is a unique Sampradaya from the point of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu on. So we generate trace our lineage to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates. We talked about this the other day. We trace ours to Bhakti Vinod. You know, it's a, it's a big, such a big place. In the, and somebody might say, well, why don't we trace it to the Prabhupada then? He's big too, you know. You could, but you need to look also at the nature of the greatness of Prabhupada and consider that. Prabhupada's greatness was largely um, involved with, with outreach and spreading hmm, widely. Hmm? Um, more so than, um, than um, a, uh, a exploring the depths of the teaching in detail. I mean, he wrote many books and so forth, but if you look at them and you look at the books, for example, of the Goswamis, you can see they didn't have it. This is the work of Nityananda Prabhu, widely outreaching, distributing, you know, probably say things like, you know, we'll sell these little deities of Gornatai and tell them and just wave incense at them and chant Hare Krishna and all your desires will be fulfilled. You know, <laughs> but said that at one time. So he was like, really like, outreach. That's what he's famous for. And we're, you know, recipients of that outreach to the downtrodden people who had no, no acquaintance with this and so forth. Wide, and so they would say, so many temples, so many, you know. 
that kind of thing. There are other types of qualitative contributions as well that a person, that an acharya may make. Um, and, and, and they not always, you know, wide outreach. So they should be, we still should be glorified according to the nature of the outreach and the nature of the contribution. Hmm? Otherwise, you know, you know, they've got sometimes Prabhupada becoming Rupa Goswami. Rupa Goswami's contribution is huge. It's immense. But he didn't open temples everywhere and go to foreign countries and, and that kind of thing. But his contribution is, you know, it's different than Prabhupada. He's, he's great in a different way for his contribution. Prabhupada's great in a particular way for his contribution. So to make the glorification really accurate, you want to glorify the person in terms of what they actually did and not inordinately make them doing something that is really the contribution of someone else and so forth. This isn't a take away from anyone but uh, an acharya, but to do it accurately. And so it's kind of... Yeah, orchestra, different people play different instruments, and then maybe virtuosos. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, this is the last question. <laughs> so I was thinking of Prabhupada as Nityananda. Okay, so, but also it seems like Prabhupada came in that line, it came in both lines, it seems. So there was a synthesis there. What, what, what's the two lines? Well, you've got the Nityananda's line and the line coming through the six Um Well, yeah. Uh, we say, you know, some power, some shakti of Nityananda invested in him. Um, it's not that, it's, it's, it's not that, the, you know, you have two sides in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. That's true in a sense. Nityananda Prabhu started the whole Sampradaya. That wasn't the Goswamis who started it. Nityananda started it, he said. Bajagoranga, Kahagoranga, Lahagoranga, Nam, Re, Janagoranga, Baji, Seamar, Pramri. Mahabhu Sichaitane was teaching people to worship Krishna. It was Nityananda who was so bold, he said. Forget that, you know. Bajagoranga, Kahagoranga, Lahagoranga, Nam. Worship Goranga, chant the name of Goranga, give the teachings of Goranga. And he said, anybody who does that, they are my life and my soul. I give myself entirely to them. So this Gaudiya Sampadaya, this started by Nityananda. There's nobody bigger than Nityananda. It's not Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, six Goswamis combined. Nityananda was the whole show. Bhagwan himself. Yeah, he's big, big, big. He started the whole Sampadaya. He was so bold to do that. And that then lineages started from Nityananda Prabhu's associates and so forth. And there was a whole growing of the Sampradaya locally, if you will, in Bengal. And, you know, then, then Chaitanya Dev went out and did outreach as a sannyasi, you know, and he picked up Rup Sanatana and Prabodhananda and, uh, you know, Gopal Bhaktivasami in the South and so forth, sent them to Mirdavan, taught them and so forth. And then the Goswamis came and wrote, they, they took the teaching that was, they, they, they kind of universalized the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by writing about the significance of his, of his um, advent and, and, and teachings in Sanskrit, which was the language of the, the universal religious, you know, kind of like the science language or something of the 
intellectual language at the time. So they took him out of Bengal, so to speak, you know, over there in Bengal, they think they've got another god, you know, kind of a thing, and wrote about the significance of his appearance in Sanskrit, and, they, and in doing so, they, they identified him and his, his reality, his ecstasies, and so forth, in the context of the canons, the, the religious canons, spiritual canons, the, the, the books, and, and, and so they, they then put him, you know, onto the stage, just so to speak. Here, you know, they, they, they demonstrated. It's not just some fanatics in Bengal who thought their, their neighbor was God, you know, uh, that, but they, so they, they did that and they, and then this then became the canon of the Gaudias. And it was, it's like the final word, like Krishna's Kaviraj is the final biography, if you will, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And you find he is yeah, totally faithful to the Goswamis. Everything there is supported by the Goswamis. He's giving you Rupa Sanatana Jiva Goswami in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. He's giving you the Goswami vision of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Chaitanya Charitamrita is how Rupa Goswami sees Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's what it is. That's why we say sometimes we are Rupanugas. And, 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 you know, Jeevanugas, whatever. Um, and Krishna's Kaviraj, that's what he's faithful to. That, be, that has become then the orthodox um, uh, version of Chaitanya Vaishnavism. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, that book, Chaitanya Charitamrita, you wouldn't have it without Nityananda Prabhu. Nityananda Prabhu came to Kaviraj Goswami in a dream and said, you know, told him, you go to Vrindavan, there you have service. Hmm? There he got the service and so forth. So you can't get away from Nityananda Prabhu, however you look at it. It's not that those who follow Nityananda Prabhu, for example, in Sakyaras, that they're not connected to the Goswamis. You take, for example, you know, you can find some books in Bengal from uh, Sakyaras lineages in Bengal, uh, and they're all quoting Rupa Goswami and so forth, and speaking about the Sakyaras and how he wrote about it in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and so forth. It's another you know, idea of Rupanuga, following Rupanuga, following Rupa Goswami in terms of his explanation of bhakti, perhaps, but not in terms of his particular bhava as, as a, you know, in Manjuri Bhav, there's, there's two ways to put it together. And if you, if you ever read carefully about Prabhupada, you see he never uses the term Rupanuga in terms of following the bhava of Rupa Goswami. But that is the full idea in a sense, but there's the other side of it too. Following Rupa Goswami and what he's given, you know, for the Godias. So does that help? Yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking more about his father when that type of thing, you know, hmm? the the Dwadas uh, Gopals that lineage. Dwadas Gopals. Somehow, another was involved in that side, and Prabhupada, of course, was involved in. Prabhupada comes in that kind of lineage once started yeah, yeah. by Nityananda so and his family. Oh, oh, my friend. Oh, my friend. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with your permission, we'll stop there. Shiva Prabhupada, Gijai. Gaur Bhakti Brindaki, Jai. Gaur Premanandi.